Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. Isn't it better to be safe than sorry? After all, in this post-COVID world, isn't safety of the utmost importance? Well, it may be, but what are the trade-offs for safety? And how does this apply to climate change? Joining us today to talk about this and more is Mark Morano, the world's number one climate contrarian and dogged opponent of hysterical science and a denier of the prophecies of climate doom. Mark, thanks for joining us again on RegWatch. Thank you, Brent. I like that. Denier of the prophecies of climate doom. That's an acceptable use of the term denier. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to get it in there because, of course, they, you know, they use that to label us all the time. Yeah. Mark, you're the author, and I've got it right here, of the best-selling 2018 book, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Climate Change. And you're also an award-winning producer and writer of the documentary film series, Climate Hustle, fill our audience in about that and the premiere of the sequel last week. The first film, Climate Hustle, dealt with the science uh, of climate change. And we dealt with the CO2, whether it's the control knob of the climate, short story, no, it's not. There are hundreds of factors that influence climate. CO2 is but one. We interviewed world-renowned experts, Nobel Prize-winning scientists, the former United Nations scientists. We laid out the case. Now, in the sequel, which we just released September 24th at a big online release, stars Kevin Sorbo and me as a reporter, him as the host, we go through the agenda, the why. Are they trying to control the climate or you? And I think, Brett, you know, and your listeners and your viewers know that it's not about climate control. It's not even about public safety or, or safety or anything to do with the science. This is about a bureaucratic vision. So we go in this film, we go behind the scenes. We interview the former UN climate chief who admits that climate change uh, the United Nations climate agenda is seeks, quote, a centralized transformation that will make life on planet Earth very different. And we go through all that. We present the Green New Deal and show that the architects say it's not a climate thing. It's a change the whole economy thing. So the, the two, we actually have a deal in the two set at climatehustle2.com. You can watch the first movie, deal with the science, the second that deals with the agenda. Well, that's excellent. Well, we've got a trailer here ready for everyone. So let's have a quick listen. It all started around 2003 when I produced a paper that go against the standard paradigm of uh, climate change uh, religion. The predictions were that there would be massive warming by now. It's not happening. My science has gone so bad, it drives me nuts. Have you ever heard a scientist say there's a consensus <laughs> the sun is going to rise tomorrow morning? Scientists don't believe anything. They see man as some sort of foreign invasion, when the reality is we're part of nature. It is deadly to your career to be a young dissenter. I broke down for a very simple reason, because they are not only coming after me, they are coming after a range of my colleagues. The solution is bigger governments, more regulation, more control, more everything that's against freedom. That's what they want. Some people even say that it's coordinated in some form or another by certain leaders. There's no way I could possibly fight against a government that is lining up against me. You have no freedom, you have no control over the political process, you are a mere drone. It's more than a climate monarchy. They want to return us to an age of kings. Evil triumphs when good men stand idly by. Don't look at the facts. 
nothing to see here. Move along and follow the party line. This isn't just bad science, this is the death of science. Don't miss this important film, Climate Hustle 2. So Mark, the death of science, that's pretty strong. Yes, and that's really what it is. I mean, in the movie essentially it explains, and I think your viewers, Brent, know this well from watching the uh, vaping battles, the regulatory public, big public health bureaucracy, science has become another branch of the government. Science in support of policy. It's called upon not to advise politicians and inform them. Science is called upon to justify the decisions already made. And in the case of the UN Paris Agreement, it was a foregone conclusion in 1988 when the United Nations said, and we go into this movie, let's put ourselves in charge of looking at whether carbon dioxide drives the climate. And of course, we'll never find that it doesn't because we don't have a reason to, we won't have a reason to exist. And as a bonus, the UN, not only do they get to hype the problem scientifically or in Al Gore's words, which we have in the movie, they torque up the science but they get to be in charge of the solution with annual United Nations climate summits, with $100 billion climate funds, with um, the United Nations in charge of carbon trading and emissions and uh, CO2 budgets for every man, woman, and child on the planet. This is what they've sought after. They have no incentive. It's a self-interested lobbying organization, and they use science as another branch of the government and as a lobbying tool to do the policies they've already decided upon. And that's what we present in this film. And we actually go back, we show Dwight David Eisenhower's the farewell speech in 1961, where he warned of this exact thing happening. We go through, we show you the Hollywood hypocrisy, the indoctrination of kids. We go through, we show you all the wacky solutions, the shrinking humans, the meat patches, like a nicotine patch, so you'll stop eating meat and make it unpleasant. Well, you had mentioned President Eisenhower in his speech, and most people, when they think of that speech, they think of his warnings about the you know military industrial complex. But it was really, and it was a shocking thing, I had never heard this extra part of it until I watched Climate Hustle 2, which go to climatehustle2.com, <laughs> yeah. rent it, and you see the first one too as well. But so let's play this here for the audience. It's going to touch you. We're going to hear President Eisenhower. We're going to get a little bit of context around that with, with regards to the funding. And again, just to hammer that home, the same thing on vaping side, you know, if 90% of the funding uh, dollars are going to anti-vaping funding, well, then that's where you get the anti-vaping uh, position. Same with climate change. A couple of years ago, when we started covering this issue, I went through all of the national funding in the U.S., for climate, and I mean, every single one of them was already presupposing the fact that climate change is a thing. Well, you know, nothing's actually yeah. studying climate change. It's all it's always predicated on it already is happening. So let's have a quick listen to this. So we had a monopoly in science. Everyone was saying, let's find out the risk. No one was paid to say, let's find out if there's no risk. No one was paid to say, is it really the sun driving climate change? When President Eisenhower left office, he issued a warning, and everybody's familiar with the military-industrial complex warning. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. A government contract becomes virtually a substitute for intellectual curiosity. The prospect of domination of the nation's scholars by federal employment, project allocations, and the power of money is ever-present and is gravely to be regarded. But there was also a warning that he made associated with science. We must also be alert to the equal and opposite danger that public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific technological elite. 
I was looking at 20 years worth of funding from 1989 to 2009. The ratio is about three and in 1990, I think it was three or four, when after Al Gore became vice president, he did a house cleaning at the Department of Energy and other places they do grants. They invited meteorologist Bill Gray to lunch. And he, he told the vice president's people that, you know, he would be happy to go to lunch, but he doesn't agree with them on the global warming stuff. Well, the lunch never happened. And Bill Gray's funding never continued after that. He was cut off. And so anyone in government during the Clinton-Gore administration was, was what's the word I'm looking for, um, was gone through and surgically removed. And so only people who towed the party line, the climate claims was, you know, who was driving the climate crisis would receive funding. That's what Eisenhower was warning about. And we're seeing the same thing now in the whole COVID debate. If doctors come out, even award-winning, Nobel Prize-winning, Stanford epidemiologists, they get banned on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. If they say anything against lockdowns, if they say anything against mask mandates, if they say anything against you know, the death rates, uh, even the CDC's own numbers. If you even quote the CDC's own numbers showing that if you're under 70, uh, I think your death rate is uh, is uh, higher for the flu than it is. Now, it's higher death rate for those senior citizens for COVID, but not the flu. If you even quote the CDC's own numbers, you get warnings now. This is what Eisenhower warned about. This is the state we are in. Just keep in mind, the Green New Deal, the UN Paris Agreement, everything happened virtually overnight back in March and April, 2020, all of the restrictions, we were shut down without a vote of city legislators, of parliaments, of Congress, of House of Representatives, of any body of legislator. It was unelected health bureaucrats telling governors that they needed to do executive orders, shutting down restaurants, businesses, transportation, interstate travel in some cases. self I mean, this was the greatest advancement of state power in the history of America, you know, outside of, you know, the, the, the battle over slavery and or segregation. And this is right up there because this affected not segments. This was in-house arrest of healthy people. The first time that I'm aware of, you know, usually you quarantine sick people, you don't quarantine the healthy. So, you know, I'm, I'm writing a new book on the Green New Deal. And by the way, the book you held up, actually, that was 2008. But oh, I have a 2019, 2018, I have a 2019 edition with a bonus chapter on the Green New Deal. Well, now I'll have a 2021 book with a complete on just on the Green New Deal. And I actually have a whole two, basically two chapters on technocracy. And in doing the research for that, you know, this is this is the wave of the future. I'm looking at what's happening in Victoria, Australia, what's happening in New Zealand. No longer. The other thing that's interesting about COVID and the, the COVID climate connection no longer are we looking at, at um, sick people. We're now just looking at cases. So when right. you're looking at the flu, we actually, in the past, we've looked at flu cases, not flu test results. And we didn't just generally test people, you know, before you go in, you got tested for the flu, if you, which is what they're talking about now. In order to go to a football game, you got to get a COVID test. If you want to go to the presidential debate, you have to get a COVID test. You know, this is a whole new era. So you have New Zealand trying to have zero cases, which is an insane goal. As, as the epidemiologists like to say, a virus is going to virus. Having government strip away all your freedom and turn to a totalitarian state is not going to stop a virus. You have this 
city of Victoria suspending parliament, the providence of Victoria, the region, suspending parliament, public health bureaucrats coming in and quarantining people to one hour, to only free one hour a day to leave your house, only one family member. You must have a mask. If you leave out of that side of that, you're going to be harassed by the police. If you say this is ridiculous, or let's say let's meet in the park and protest, police videos of them breaking into homes. This is what we're facing. I live in the state of Virginia. Our public health bureaucrat, I don't even know the name. People don't know the names. These people has announced that when a rushed politicized vaccine becomes available for COVID, the public will have no choice, no religious exemption, no health exemption. Everyone will be mandated to take this vaccine that the government will deem safe for COVID, even though the death rate, uh, depending on your age group, is much lower than the flu death rate. This is this is where we are, the public, and I'll leave you with this. I'm sorry to go on the <laughs> Senate, so I'm doing a, uh, a filibuster here, but- That's okay. The Speaker of the House of Commons, the Lord of the, the House of Lords in England, two weeks ago at the G7, or at September 2020, at the G7 summit, said he was amazed at how, quote, compliant the public was at the COVID restrictions, how willing they were willing to accept all these. And he then went on to say, we need to start doing this for the climate emergency. So the problem is when you have such a- Well, let me interrupt Let me, let me interrupt you there, Mark, just because sure. I want to make sure for the viewer that they see this, that, that I've got up here. This is in Climate Depot, which is one of your platforms. Coronavirus reveals radical climate idea, opportunity for economic degrowth, a planned slowdown yeah. of the economy to fight climate change. That's one of the things they love. And I did a whole report how, quote, the lockdowns were fantastic, unquote, for the environment. It reduced emissions. And actually, one eerie quote was the Evo DeBoer, a former UN climate chief, the former UN climate official, actually said, I believe it was at Paris, or in order to meet the obligations, we would have to have zero out economic growth and shut down the economy for, you know, and by, by 2030, we could meet the obligations. He was saying it sort of flippantly. But interesting that literally all the economies of the world were shut down and then all the cl Paris climate activists were praising the effect on the climate. So it's just an amazing thing. So ambitious politicians, compliant public and unelected health bureaucrats are giving them wild ideas to the point now where the Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden is calling for national lockdown, national mask mandates, if the scientists tell him. This is what we're facing. It always comes down to the safety issue, and that's why I really wanted to frame this, because both in vaping, you know, better safe than sorry, you know, you shouldn't put anything in your lungs, you know, we gotta make sure the kids don't get at it, that's better safe than sorry. And then we've got this be safe uh, thing that's all around COVID. We heard uh, Vice President uh, Joe Biden in the debate last uh, earlier this week mentioned very strongly that, you know, basically he'll lock down the country again if scientists tell him to do that. Science has so much power here, it's it's immense. Yeah, the expression is scientists say so. Emmanuel Macron, the French president said, we must limit our contacts, we must do the following, you know, under the lockdown, and because scientists say so. <laughs> well, that's a clarion call of just essentially a medical dictatorship. And the same thing we've seen led by Greta Thunberg, because the science, the science, or scientists say so. That's what you hear at every UN conference, every climate activist. The idea is it doesn't matter what we think, what we know, there's a few trusted experts. And we see this, the NASA scientists and GIST, aside from now coming out in the year 2020, saying that white supremacy now is uh, you know, part of the climate uh, crisis, that you know, climate change is caused by white supremacy. 
NASA's lead global warming scientists are now all uh, basically all involved in promoting the idea that they can control the, the public policy agenda through their science. And we've seen this with the National Academy of Sciences. The National Academy of Sciences is 100%, let me repeat that, 100% funded by governments, but either federal, state, local governments. The National Academy of Sciences started by Abraham Lincoln. A lot of the activists will say, this is the esteemed, the esteemed science body. They've come out, they'll support carbon taxes, they support cap and trade. If governments pay them, to, to support a policy, by golly, that's what they'll do. And two dozen governing board members vote on the climate statements that come out and endorse the climate consensus. This is how you create the illusion of all scientists agree, the science says the following, or scientists say so. But it's not. It's not. It's a, it's a huge illusion. And by the way, the, the NASA lead global warming scientist came out during COVID just about a month ago, Brett, and said that that I, like most climate deniers, are sociopaths because we oppose the lockdown restrictions, mask mandates, et cetera. It's ruled by experts. And that's what we get into a little bit in the movie. And that's what my new books, The Technocracy, these are people we don't have necessarily PhDs in public safety and climate. So you have to defer to the experts. These people study their whole lives. We've heard this in the education establishment as well. You know, you can't challenge the curriculum because these people spend decades working on it. Who are you? What's your background? How dare you challenge, come into our territory? And so you just have to be the compliant public. And this is what's being imposed upon us at unprecedented levels. No one could have foreseen this, not even Fauci. He said in January, can you imagine what they've done in February? Can you imagine what they've done in China? We could never get away with that in New York and San Francisco. Guess what? They did get away with it in New York and San Francisco. I've got a, a slide here that I put together for those members of our audience that might not necessarily be fully on board with this or think that we're evil <laughs> because we're well, even we talking about evil. this issue. <laughs> we're exactly. evil. Yeah. So, you know, I, I pose this. When should somebody challenge climate orthodoxy? And so this is a reg watch list right. is when science is presented as settled. When science is presented as settled, that's orthodoxy. You should be challenging it. Only one side is presented to the public. As you mentioned earlier, science is presented as belief, which is total. Do you believe in climate change? Alarmism and hysteria become the story. Models prove incapable of explaining the past. And we're going to jump to that in a second. Models loaded to deliver worst case scenarios. Better safe than sorry becomes fail safe argument. Solutions advance social justice. That's your Paris Accord. And then now with public health coming out. And as you were saying with NASA, saying that climate change is a social justice issue used to justify radical change to lifestyle and economy. It's the new normal. We have to switch everything over and solutions resemble communism. And we'll talk about that in a second. So let me post this oh, one to great you. Great list. Very good list. Did you come up with that? That's yours? Or yeah, right? it's a reg watch list. Yeah. It's great. Thank you. And uh, so about the models, then explain that, because I mean, really, it's it's hard to get into. But if you're a vapor, you understand that the science on yeah. vaping is corrupted. And if, well, if you can have an open mind, you should be able to see the same thing with climate change. What I like to say is when current reality fails to alarm, they make scarier and scarier predictions of the future. It's done all the time. When you look at polar bears, for instance, Polar bears are at or near historic population highs. They've never counted this many. The U.S. Geological Survey, the polar bear, all the counting agencies, they're just booming populations. They, they, can't, they, they can't get around that fact. It's so bad, Brent, that Al Gore in his 2006 film and book, The Inconvenient Truth, featured the polar bear at, based on models as the poster child of global warming. 
hanging on to, as my Senator Inhofe used to say, hanging on to the last ice cube in the Arctic, this real emotional picture. Well, fast forward 2017, yeah, his inconvenient sequel and book, guess how many times he mentioned the polar bear? Zip, but this zero times, because even Al Gore can't maintain that model-based catastrophe to have any credibility. So what happens is, and in, the, and in my book, uh, the completely incorrect guide to climate change. I quote UN scientists who admit that half the variability in nature isn't accounted for in climate models, so they don't expect them to do terribly well. Other top UN scientists like Kevin Trenbrith actually come out and say they're not actually predictions of the future, they're merely emission scenarios. So, and when they're actually being scientific and technical, a model's a very useful tool. But the scientists themselves know that that's not the real value of models. The real value of models is to come up with an extreme scenario to get the public alarmed, to increase funding, to get universities happy, to lead with the press releases at universities. It's so bad that in, in my new book, I have this, that the, there's a UN climate scenario the IPCC came up with. It's the extreme model outlier scenario. In other words, previous UN reports have you had, had, a, had a, a moderate range, a mid-range, and an extreme range? Well, guess what? In the new reports, and this is done by the National Climate Assessment in the United States, they're using this extreme outlier model, the 8.5 model. And it's basically how they're justifying the climate emergency. It shows a sensitivity of the atmosphere of carbon dioxide as extreme and dangerous, the most extreme. And so now they can come out and say, well, it's worse than we thought. This is devastating. The headlines are outrageous. This is how they're justifying the climate emergency because they've gone to more extreme model scenarios. And in COVID, we all know Neil Ferguson's 2.2 death model. He came out with it. The whole world panicked along with Chinese propaganda of them hammering people in their homes. And I just went back and re-looked at this. China released the videos of people just dropping dead in the street as though, you know, COVID would cause you just to collapse. This was just pure propaganda. It worked brilliantly. Mark, if you can, we're here to talk about climate change, but yet it's been so much COVID uh, over this interview. Why, again, why is it that COVID and climate change are inextricable? They're inextricable because this is exactly the solution the, the progressive left has achieved, whether it's for overpopulation, global cooling, uh, resource scarcity, et cetera. They had the same solutions. Control of people by a technocracy and rule by experts where you, you don't get to make decisions. You're told what you can and can't do based on what's good for public health, for the planet, for the environment, for the good, the common good. Individual freedom is the greatest threat that the collective faces. So this started in earnest with the environmental movement in the 1960s. It has been their hallmark of it, whatever the environmental crisis has had the same solution. And so COVID is a viral threat that now is, has the same solutions, but it's achieved beyond the wildest dreams with the climate people. So now Al Gore, the top UN officials, Greta Thunberg, um, NASA, they're all saying COVID and climate are basically one and the same. The solutions are the same. You can no longer talk about climate in the year 2020 or 2021 without talking about COVID. They are now morphed together. I used to think climate was the greatest threat. Climate solutions were the greatest threat to our liberties. I now revise and extend those remarks, as they say in the U.S. Senate, where I used to work. I wasn't a senator, but as a staffer. And I say that I was wrong. The viral fears are now the greatest threat we face as human beings and our liberty. And actually in that vein, we open the film, Climate Hustle 2, with a warning about the coming, actually I shouldn't say coming, we're living 
under a full technocracy now? Because how many legislators, how many parliaments actually voted for lockdowns, mask mandates? Very few, a few city councils apparently have, but mostly these are executive orders with health bureaucrats behind the scenes. Health bureaucrats, we don't even know their names, are telling us we can't go to weddings, funerals, uh, graduations. We can't have barbecues outside. We can't, uh, you know, have, have more than X number of people over. These are people we didn't even know their names now dictating way beyond the climate agenda. So that's how we opened the film. We had to make we had to make some adjustments because of the wackiness of that's happened just since March of 2020. Well, let me bring up uh, indoctrination because that clearly is what's happened here. And you've got young people who believe. I mean, there was a piece last year uh, in the Guardian, I think it was. Uh, talking about how UK kids, you know, teenagers and stuff like that were in fear, having nightmares, night terrors over yeah. climate change. And of course, they've linked climate change to social justice issues and they linked it, you know, with racism now, too, as well. So, I mean, it just becomes this, this huge, big pot. Now, one of the things you talked about in, the, in Climate Hustle, too, was this indoctrination with regards to what they're doing uh, to, you know, to parents and to the older generations. And so let's play that clip now and then have a quick chat about it. The climate change agenda is based on control of our economy, our schools, and even our way of life. What is happening with the environmental movement is they're putting children ahead of their parents. You know more than your parents. Your parents are stupid. Your grandparents and your parents have ruined the earth. So it's actually teaching children to be against their parents as well as our political system. Don't miss this important film, Climate Hustle 2. An important point to be made. I mean, it's intergenerational hate. Yeah, it's identity politics, old versus young in this situation. And here's what's going on. We have kids come to the U.S. Capitol testifying, Brent, basically saying mom and dad's generation destroyed the planet and it's up to us to save it. Thanks, mom and dad. We have uh, James Hansen, the former NASA lead global warming scientist, signed on to a lawsuit in the film we profiled the indoctrination of all these elementary school kids who are doing a lawsuit against the federal government. And the gist of it is the federal government has to safeguard their future against climate. So they're trying to impose through the court system. And by the way, don't think they won't be successful. Uh, you know, the Supreme Court ruled the wrong way on the CO2 being endangered to the, to the endangerment finding in 2007. That was a pollutant file. That was the pollution finding, right? Yes. It's a pollutant. pollutant. It was a pollutant. Yes. You could regulate it as a pollutant in 2007. Supreme Court ruled on that. And so that's how Obama's EPA started uh, doing all the executive orders. And, and let me ask you about that, because this is a real issue for me. And it does link to COVID. Not everything's about COVID. We Unfortunately, it's just COVID it takes over everything. Yeah. But it is so linked with what's going on with climate change. But when the Obama administration got that ruling, that ruled that every time a living human being exhales, you're exhaling a pollutant that is killing the planet. That's essentially what they're saying. So where does that go in terms of the actual control of people, hatred of mankind? Yeah. I mean, it's anti-human to say that the very thing, just being alive, you're killing the planet. Yeah, well, first of all, the decision was made at the last year of the Bush administration, 2007. And right. yes, you're absolutely right. And the way this is done is, is how you interpret it and how judges interpret it. So once you've established that CO2 is pollution, that means we are all pollution machines. We inhale oxygen, exhale CO2. I remember scientist Dr. Roger Pilkey Sr., climatologist from uh, Colorado University, he actually said, 
you know, if we're going to declare CO2 a pollutant, then we have to declare water vapor and water. So he was saying, well, are we going to have regulations on garden hoses, swimming pools? You know, once you go down this road, and they will if they need it. To remember, the science has to support policy. So if they ever need, you know, to regulate the water that way, believe me, they'll have the science. They'll get the consensus. They'll get the National Academy of Science. The panels will get together. They'll have every study rushed through peer review. They have everything they need at their disposal. But you're absolutely right. This is what happens. I, what, I was, what I was trying to say there is earlier is this is how we could be looking at a UN Paris Agreement and or Green New Deal imposed via the court system. And that 2007 ruling saying that the you know, government agencies can regulate carbon dioxide as a pollutant is that first step. Remember, most of the progressive agenda occurs through the court system, not the legislator, whether you're talking abortion, gay marriage, and I'm not even giving any opinions on that. I'm just saying that's a fact. So it makes sense that they're using children to get through judicial fiat, you know, the Green New Deal slash UN Paris Agreement slash climate regulations. They're going to be a lot more successful probably going to the courts than they will legislators. So let's play one last clip from the from Climate Hustle 2. And if you haven't been scared to death already by now, this one will. And just to let you know, uh, the audience know, I've repeated the soundbite here just twice. So you can really get an opportunity to understand what this gentleman is recommending with regard to your future biochemistry makeup in your brain. We might consider using pharmacological means to increase our altruistic and empathetic tendencies. Many environmental problems are collective action problems in which individuals do not cooperate for the common good. We might consider using pharmacological means to increase our altruistic and empathetic tendencies. Many environmental problems are collective action problems in which individuals do not cooperate for the common good. So Mark, empathy and altruism and the collective common good. Now we need drugs to make us more empathetic. That's part of the argument for climate change. Absolutely is. And we profiled this professor. He, not only does he want us to give us drugs, this is the one who wants to do a meat patch. He also wants to shrink human beings. He talks about genetically this to lower our carbon footprint. Well, what exactly yeah. do you mean by the rise of the climate monarchy? Well, the movie opens up with me in a Louis XIV outfit in, at the Palace of Versailles near Paris. And the gist of this is we interviewed uh, Lord Moncton, a uh, former Thatcher advisor. And we explain how what's happening here is basically ruled by elite, which is what I just explained, ruled by expert. You know, the idea is that the unwashed masses can't be in charge. Democracy is the most evil thing to the planet, to viruses, to public health, et cetera. So what we do is we go through the history of monarchs. Now, the absolute monarchs thought they were divine right of kings. They thought they were the chosen ones. And the idea is none of the rules of society applied to them. They lived in opulent palaces and we go around and tour Louis XIV's palace and, were, and lived a life of opulence, wealth, anything they wanted. Well, the masses suffered. And what's happening here is you have UN officials, uh, including uh, the, form, the climate chiefs, they live at 30,000 feet flying around the world, um, lecturing us about the evils of flying. You have all the climate actors. We feature uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in the movie He's actually talking about uh, people should air dry their clothes on hangers to save CO2 and talks about how many pounds of carbon dioxide it'll save per year. But at the same time, this is when he was governor of California, the same time he was commuting by private jet from his mansion outside of the governor's mansion because his private mansion was much nicer than the governor's mansion. It was a step down. So he was 
private jet commuting to daily to and from work, telling the Californians they should air dry their clothes on clothes hangers. That is a climate monarchy. So then we go into Leonardo DiCaprio, Harrison Ford, uh, Madonna, uh, other UN spokesmen, just the idea that it's going to be one set of rules for the public and one set of rules for the leaders. And that's what monarchy is essentially all about, because monarchs lived off the fat of the land, and the fat of the land here is the masses. And that's what the, the uh, climate people are doing. That's what we're finding even in the COVID debate. Governors saying mask mandates, no restaurants, and then they cross over into other states and they're caught not wearing a mask or eating inside a restaurant when their own state doesn't allow it. Uh, and they're just all completely clueless to that, tone deaf to that kind of world. But that's essentially what we mean. It's going to be the unelected sort of divine right. And we also go into the religious aspect with climate and talk about how it's literally become a faith movement. And Harrison Ford actually says he found in nature a kind of God. Uh, and we talk, we show the uh, pics from the, 19, the 2014 climate march in New York City, where you had the climate spiritualist movement. They're all praying there. You know, it's like a earth worship movement. It's all part of this whole thing as well. Yeah, and then they certainly frame it. It feels like the church of climate change. There's no doubt. And if you, you know, in, if you're a heretic, you're out. You know, it's and you're othered. You're ostracized. Yeah. And that clearly is the case. It's when you bring up monarchy. For me, when I think of aristocracy, I mean, it's there. It's this arrogant belief that by birth, there's some, or it, maybe it's the expert. Issue, well, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it is about birth almost now too, because you look at generations and generations of, say, of the Washington elite. That that's yeah. an aristocracy, and for them to have this belief that they have the right to govern, it's their it's their it's their way of thinking that has the right. That is really an aristocracy kind of a point of view. It is, and no dissent is allowed. You know, yeah, they had they had all sorts of punishment for that. I mean, you can't, you couldn't stand up against the king, and that's what we're finding here. You can't dissent on COVID. You can't dissent on dissent on climate. Uh, you can't dissent on even vaping. I mean, uh, you know, part of the reason I was skeptical of the whole uh, COVID thing was because I'd seen what the CDC did with vaping. I mean, they basically told to go back to cigarettes. We don't know what's causing this. When they knew damn well what was causing it, and it was. Uh, it, you know, it was the illegal black market marijuana vape. So I knew immediately there, I also knew the history of Fauci when it came to heterosexual AIDS and a bunch of, and, and the work of Michael right. Mento, who was phenomenal on this stuff, going after public health bureaucracy. So what it is, is it's deferred to experts. And that's where um, it's deferred to experts in the elite. And part of this is, you know, the, the elite would be the Davos economic forum. The head of that, the founder of the Davos Economic Forum in June announced the Great Reset based on COVID and climate. And they're basically, it's going to be a, a war on capitalism. It's going to be the great international socialist reset. How do we know this? Because they're going to take their private jets, their yachts, all the celebrities and wealthy are going to go meet and they're going to set the agenda. They've announced it. This isn't a conspiracy. This isn't some dark web thing. This was publicly announced on the World Economic Forum's website. This is who gives the marching orders. Uh, to the United Nations, the EU, to the progressives across the world. And this is what we're headed for. We're going to redo, rebuild better. And that's what that's what we're facing right now. It's the gravest threat we ever faced. Donald Trump obviously is the face of the opposition. He's not very articulate. He doesn't even recognize it all the time. He's, But he's our best hope in America. Uh, but I think he's our best hope to delay it four years. I'm not convinced that he's the best hope to stop this because we really need to identify, and that's what we try to do in Climate Hustle too, identify, identify the true enemy. You've got to fight back and you need people in power with courage to do it. Uh, and we really, 
other than Donald Trump, I don't count his cabinet among them, but Donald Trump himself, yes, uh, but not his cabinet, you know, not even on climate. In the U.S., and that's, you know, basically our stake in the ground here, there's the three branches of government. You've got your executive branch, you've got your legislative branch, and you've got your judicial branch. Those three compete together, bang heads when it comes to power. Well, the administrative state, the bureaucratic yeah. state, the regulators, the experts, and the bureaucrats, they work for the executive branch, but that certainly is not no. the case anymore. They... There is, what's happened here is the legislative branch is gone. The idea that legislators meet and enact laws. What law is more um, profound and impacting on, on anyone's life globally than a lockdown? And how many people got to vote on that? That was imposed upon us not only overnight by gov unelected government health bureaucrats through governor's executive orders, but it was done when it was never part of the playbook. It was never approved by anyone ahead of time. The World Health Organization, the Centers for Disease Control, never had this, we're gonna do lockdowns immediately and we're gonna do mass mandates if there's ever a It wasn't in the playbook. In fact, it was discouraged in the playbooks. So this is what we're talking about. They can do whatever they want. The legislator is gone. The executive is all powerful. But even now, as I mentioned, the case of Virginia, our public health bureaucrat is just announcing without even the governor's input that everyone will be mandated to have a vaccine, no exceptions. Why not? He's got the power. Who's going to stop him? Some politician appointed judge who's afraid or a politician, a Republican legislator who's basically silent. I mean, it's pathetic. I'd imagine that there's quite a few climate uh, climate activists that are a little jealous over what was achieved through COVID. <laughs> oh, absolutely. In fact, they are massively jealous. They're all coming out saying, I, you know, we're seeing this, that this can happen for COVID. Why can't it happen for climate? We opened the movie, Climate Hustle 2, with the Teen Vogue uh, teen, teen activist uh, Jamie Margolis saying that very thing. You know, if the world can lock down for a virus, they can lock down for the climate emergency. This is where they want to go. John Kerry saying the solutions are remarkable. The parallels between COVID solutions and climate solutions are just unbelievable. We have activists after activists and, and just saying that exact thing. They're looking at it saying, why can't we do this for climate? And they're not waiting. They can do it for climate and they're already starting to do it for climate. This is what's happening in Europe. As I mentioned, the UK House of Commons guy, he is just lusting after this. They're going to start. What's going to happen is Climate is piggybacking on COVID. They're now talking about death certificates, including climate as a cause of death. Well, what does that have to do with COVID? This came out after the COVID death tolls, daily, nightly news, the daily counts, the nightly counts, the Dovid death tolls around the globe, each country, each state, each region. They know the power of the emotional attachment of the death. So what happened is academics in Australia and other parts of the world are proposing climate change be listed as a contributor on death certificates. Now, Al Gore has publicly stated every organ in your body is impacted by climate change. The um, uh, World Health Organization has announced climate change is the greatest health threat that we face. The Department of Transportation in the United States has done multiple studies on how car crash, global warming contributes to fatal car crashes. So if you, and the American Cancer Society has done a study saying climate change causes cancer to be worse. So here's the deal. If you die of cancer or any organ failure or die in a car accident, it's not far-fetched to assume that you will become part of a climate change death toll. They're not idiots. If they can now have a nightly toll, the climate emergency has now claimed 100,000 people in America, but still the president does not support the Green New Deal or carbon trading or the UN Paris. 
that's what they're looking for. So they're copying directly. The COVID death tolls were deadly effective to, to use double alliteration and un- and now they're trying to add climate to that. Now imagine if every organ is affected by climate change, what percentage of deaths are caused by organ failure? I don't, I can't, I have to, I have to look that up, but you can imagine that almost every death is gonna be a climate death in the future. Mr. Morano, your heart attack was caused by climate change. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm just so frustrated because I, I just repeat this again. No one understands this in power. No one gets it. No one wants to talk about it. No one else doing anything. People who should, people like Rand Paul should have had a better had a a better challenge with Fauci. Instead, it turned into a nothing nothing thing. There's no Republicans. And House of Representatives has several good Republicans who get it and are, are very articulate on this, but it's few and far between. Based on what you've seen with vaping, because you've definitely followed that issue for many years, and obviously climate change now for well over a decade or two, would you say that public health has really stepped up to the plate to reveal themselves to be the greatest danger to individual freedom? Public health actually has found something that climate never could, something that scares the shit out of the public. And that is a virus that takes away your breathing and kills you. Allegedly, it was we were going to find our neighbors all dying, our parents, our siblings, our children, that we were going to, this was the Spanish flu reincarnated. This scared so deeply that the public, as in the words of the UK House of Lords, was very compliant. And climate is looking at that saying, we tried to instill that fear for decades and utterly and completely failed based on every polling result and public interest. But now that they have the viral fears in place, and again, you don't need death tolls, you don't need sick people, you just need cases now. And that fear of, we, and then you need people to believe that, you know, we saved millions of lives because we did the lockdown because we did the public health protocol. See, we saved you. You know, I wear a rabbit's foot I saved myself from the, uh, you know, from the scary um, uh, dragon that lives outside my house. I've never been attacked by a dragon, and I credit that for the rabbit's foot. That's what the lockdown's doing. So cl- public health, by having viral fears like this of the of COVID, has achieved what climate has been trying. Literally, the environmental movement in general has been trying literally since the mid 1960s to achieve public compliance and 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 letting get just wiping out the legislator. You don't need them anymore. You just need unelected bureaucrats to determine it. And they're trying to get in on the action. And believe me, public health bureaucrats will welcome them with open arms because they are simpatico on this issue. So to answer your question, yes, there's no way they're ever giving up viral fares. Climate is going to be a subset of that. I, I mean, it's almost like a funeral dirge for it's a memorial for the climate movement, but not really because the climate movement is not going away. It's just morphing into the public health bureaucracy with the World Health saying that you know climate is the greatest public health threat. Uh, this is what we're dealing with. In fact, the public health, the fact the World Health Organization is even a respected organization is just shocking right now. But that's what it is. You know, public accepts it. We're compliant, and I expect us to stay compliant. The only hope is in America is that there's a a literally an electoral shock of governors mayors, anyone who supported lockdowns. If there's a silent majority that just shows up and throws people out of office, the lockdowns and public bureaucracy is then depowered. But I don't see that happening, unfortunately. So last question then, is there any reason to hope that this will work out in favor of freedom? (laughs) Give up, gouge your eyes out now and end it. No, Um, there's always, we end the film with a call to hope, but I look at everything just 
I, you know, I'm working on Capitol Hill with Republicans. There's, there's no way the Republican Party even go back. Obama was elected in 2008, right? Then you had this big Tea Party rebellion. I spoke at Tea Parties, 20, 30,000 people in Wisconsin, rallies that were huge. It was a wellspring. They overtook the House and Senate and basically shut down Obama's agenda. This was a huge, the, 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 uh, the silent majority coming out and speaking. What happened? We elect Donald Trump, but still eight years after that, or six years after that. But then what happens is the movement just fades away. And essentially, unless there's an electoral shock against all this, that whole Tea Party revolution in America, I don't know what it actually gained. What ends up happening is the progressive state, the power of the central regulated state, it gets huge gains and then a little bit of step, a couple steps back, 10 steps forward, you know, two steps back. This is the history of America. It's the history of the world. We're going to central planning. I'm, I need to find examples of countries that have slowly evolved out and have more freedom. It usually is collapse that happens. I don't see anything happening. I don't see Donald Trump really understanding it. Now people say, oh, wait till a second term. I don't think so. I don't, cause he's still talking about the 2 million lives he saved with COVID. But I, here's my prediction. If there is no electoral shock against governors, like in North Carolina that are up, that are still have the state shut down, gyms are closed, uh, movie theaters are closed. Uh, when I was in North Carolina on vacation, I had to go find an illegal gym to go to, like a speakeasy. You had to find a guy uh, you know, who was open and you had to go in, you had to be quiet, you couldn't let him see it, because if anyone reports it, public health would come in, find him, shut him down. But this was it. The, the idea, this is our public health telling us that gyms need to be closed. You can't get on a treadmill or lift weights or do anything because it's a public safety. Well, isn't public safety a healthy immune system? Isn't public safety have to do with socializing and actual medical care and not get not deferring cancer and heart screenings and, and, and mental health and suicide rates and addiction? The whole idea of this has nothing to do with public health. This is about experts thinking they can do better and about controlling. That's why mask mandates are so important. They're actually insignificant in the grand scheme of things because it's a cloth you put on your face. It's more to show obedience. And the idea of the politicians just want to pound those people who don't wear a mask and they want to come up with all sorts of fines and regulations against them is because you're disobedient. If they allow that kind of disobedience, the whole narrative starts to crumble. And that's why they're so afraid of that. But in the grand scheme of things, the lockdowns are the, you know, people are saying it, the greatest humanitarian crisis uh, that we've faced. I mean, the idea that you can just lock people in your home and do it endlessly and change the, change the um, criteria constantly. You know, the two week lockdown to overwhelm hospitals. Hospitals never got overwhelmed. Well, we got to do it. Okay, the death toll's down 95%. What's next? Oh, you know, well, cases, now that we're doing, sending out cases, test results, tests everywhere, cases are exploding, but, but the deaths aren't. Yeah, but the cases are exploding. Now we have to lock down again. Republican governors fell into this. I don't know. I, 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 again, it, it, everyone's afraid. So yeah. no one has courage. People out of office have courage. You and I have courage. Talk radio hosts have courage. Uh, retired elected officials have courage. But the ones that matter don't. Uh.